So today I want to talk about apples and pears. Apples and pears that we eat are native to Asia and have been eaten for thousands of years. Apples are a hybrid of a couple of closely related species native to Asia. And the original apples really didn't look like or taste like what we have today. They were edible and they could be processed into a lot of different things. But if you were in ancient Rome or even an older culture, you wouldn't have had the equivalent most likely of a Honeycrisp or Golden Delicious Apple. They were oftentimes a lot smaller than today's apples also. So over the centuries and through a lot of selective breeding and chance seedlings and branch sports and different things, apples have evolved from a more wild state to modern apples. Now, if you purchase apple trees or you're planning on purchasing apple and pear trees, you should be aware of a few things. Up front, you want to do your research because apples especially are often available on different rootstocks, especially when you order them online. And you can get rootstocks that will keep an apple dwarfed. Now, we always assume dwarf means super small, but in industry, it actually means that it will be smaller than the original. And so dwarf could be 80% of the size of the original apple, which would get 35 feet high and wide, or it could be 20% of the original to where that apple may only reach, you know, five, six, seven feet, especially if it's a genetic dwarf. And so you need to look at your rootstocks. The smaller apples, anything that stays under about 15 feet high and wide, oftentimes will need to be staked so that the trunk is supported for the life of the tree, because oftentimes the trunk on its own can't support that fruit load. Now, the next thing to consider is, do you have room in your yard? If you've got a five-foot-wide strip, that just isn't going to cut it, because most apple trees that you purchase online or from local garden centers will be on what's called a semi-dwarfing rootstock, which will allow that apple to get anywhere from about 18 to 25 feet high and wide. And so you'll want that much of an area so that you have room for those branches to spread out. Now, as far as pruning, I highly encourage folks to go to Utah State University's YouTube channel and learn about pruning techniques for apples. There's really useful fact sheets out there. Now, in Utah, we have a tendency to turn everything into what's called open center or open bowl pruning. That's where we cut the leader out, and then we just raise the side branches into kind of a bowl shape. Well, with apples and pears, that's not a good thing because their main trunk is dominant. And if you cut that main trunk out especially on apples, you will get a lot of sucker sprouts that shoot up and it makes pruning and also fruit harvest a lot more difficult. What I would encourage you to do is look up central leader pruning or modified central leader pruning as the go-to methods for pruning apple trees. It is different than just cutting the middle out of the tree, 
but you will have more success and you'll have an easier to care for a tree if you use those methods. One other thing to consider as you're getting your tree trained is that you actually should pull all the blossoms or small fruit off of your fruit trees for the first three years after they're planted. You're focusing on getting the roots and the branches established. You want strong branches and strong roots. And if the tree doesn't have any fruit on it, all the tree's energy and efforts go into actually producing strong branches and roots. So after that third year and you allow fruit to develop on the tree, the fruit should be thinned. And so you'll want to thin when the fruit is about the size of a dime so that you have one fruit for every six inches of branch. If it's a heavy bearer, you might even go one fruit for every foot of branch. The reason you do this is that it will reduce the burden on the tree and you'll get nearly as much fruit as far as pounds produced, but it will also make the fruit higher quality, the sun will hit the fruit more optimally, and you'll have higher quality, sweeter fruit. Thinning the fruit also assists in pest control. The most common insect pest of apples is codling moth. Codling moth is around all summer long, and they have a first, a second, and third generation. The first generation oftentimes starts approximately 10 days after the blossoms have dropped, and then you'll have successive generations after that. Instead of trying to track them yourself, what I would recommend doing is subscribe to the Utah State University Pest Lab updates. I will include a hyperlink in the show notes to access this, but they're free, and USU doesn't sell your email address to anybody The other advantage is is that they will email you almost down to the day when you need to, say, spray something for coddling moth or other problems, and they give you both organic and what are called conventional options. So you've got reduced risk and the normal option. These emails will come periodically through the growing season. Besides coddling moth, another major pest is called woolly apple aphid. This is a pest that actually inhabits the roots, the trunk, and the branches of the tree, and they form a waxy coating over the top. It almost looks like a fuzzy white coating on the branches and trunk. These can be controlled in multiple ways, but instead of going into all the details, I'll put a fact sheet on woolly apple aphid in the show notes. Now, one other major pest is San Jose scale especially on apples. San Jose scale is one that will also get on the branches, but it also will get onto the fruit and scar the fruit. And instead of going into all the details on San Jose scale, be aware of it, and we'll put a fact sheet in the show notes. Now, as far as diseases, the major disease of concern in the Intermountain West is fire blight. Fire blight is actually a bacterial disease that usually gets into the trees through the blossoms in the spring, and it's spread by insects and rain and irrigation. There are sprays for fire blight that are preventative, but once the disease is in the tree, you pretty much have to prune it out as your only option because there's no bactericides or other products that will get it out of the tree. 
So I will put a fact sheet on Fireblight also in the show notes. Now, apples sometimes can go down to overwatering, as a lot of other plants can, and then they are periodically susceptible to a few different borers, but it's not very common. The most common ones are flat-headed borer, and we can put some fact sheets in there for those, but those usually only get into stressed trees. And then finally, another borer called shot hole borer, which is, has its name because it looks like a bunch of small BBs were shot into the tree, but shot hole borer also primarily just gets into stressed trees. And so maintaining tree health is going to be the optimal way to keep those out. Although if you get them, there are some sprays that can help, but the longer term solution is getting the tree healthy. Now, as far as watering your fruit trees, it's not ideal to have your fruit trees in your lawn, although oftentimes it's the only option. And so if you have fruit trees in the lawn, make sure you maintain at least a three-foot-wide circle around the tree that has bare dirt or maybe bark mulch. Now, if you can put your trees into an orchard situation to where you don't have them in your primary lawn, then the thing to do would be to run drip hose when they're younger, and then eventually you might have to put in some emitters that will spray about six or eight feet wide and under the canopy of the tree so you can water a wider area. But fruit trees, after about their third year, if they're on their own, need to have the root mass, so under the canopy, not just by the trunk, but the area under the canopy watered about every seven to ten days so that water penetrates 18 to 24 inches deep into the soil. Now, I can't give you an exact number of gallons because all soils are different. But if you will do this, then it will optimize fruit production and keep your trees healthy. Another consideration is fertilizer. Now, for the homeowner, if the tree is giving you good fruit and enough fruit and the tree looks healthy, there's no reason to fertilize. But say the tree, for whatever reason, might be a little unhealthy and you can narrow it down to a lack of nutrients through soil testing or through tissue analysis, then triple 16, so 16, 16, 16, or 20, 0, 0 are both great fertilizers for fruit trees. So as far as varieties, I wanted to throw out there that right now Honeycrisp is wildly popular, but it is a very hard to take care of tree. It lacks the ability to take enough calcium out of the soil, and it causes a lot of problems with long-term fruit storage. And so I would encourage you to buy your Honeycrisps from local dealers. There's plenty of them out there. And grow fruit trees that are easier to grow. I once talked to a nurseryman out of the Pacific Northwest who had some favorite homeowner apples, and he called them the three Gs, and they were Gala, Golden Delicious, and Granny Smith. All of those are easy to take care of. They ripen at different times. They're good for eating, good for cooking and saucing, and just all around easier to take care of apples. They still will require the spraying and pruning and training, but as far as the ease of care, it's going to be easier than especially Honeycrisp. So I hope this covers a brief overview on apples and pears. 
I should mention really quickly that pear varieties, there's usually not as many, but there are many of them out there. The common store pear is called Anju. It is a pretty pear. It's the green pear that you find. The grocery stores oftentimes have Bosk and then maybe one or two other varieties. Now, as homeowners, there's dozens of kinds of pears available, and you need to do your research on the variety. The classic canning pear is Bartlett, and the reason you don't find it in the store very often is that it's ugly. It russets quite a bit, and so you will probably have to buy Bartlett pears from a local vendor or grow the tree if you want to can them, but it is the primary canning variety. Most of the other pears are what we call winter pears and will require storage from several days to several weeks in refrigeration before you pull them out to see if they're ripe. But be aware that there are lots of pears available. The pruning and care is almost exactly the same as apples. Thank you again for listening. The Homegrown Horticulture Podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension.